Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a resource from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. Good morning to you, friends. It is a Thursday in the fall in Texas, and I hate that we missed a couple of episodes over the last couple of weeks. Hope that you've been able to survive without us. Uh, We were, of course, the office staff here, the superintendent, assistant superintendent, secretary treasurer, and the rest of us that served that team. Uh, We were all on the road for the different fall councils in the different regions of the North Texas District. I really do hope that you got to make it to one of those. Uh, If you did not, you missed out on a fantastic message from the boss, Dr. Clonch himself, but the last episode of the podcast, I believe we titled it Freedom for God's Laborers, would really be a glimpse into what's been on his heart and what he's been sharing with our ministers. So I hope that you heard that. But if you didn't, give that episode a listen. I think that you will enjoy it. Today, I want to do something a little different than we've typically done on the podcast. You guys know that this is mostly an interview type setup. This morning, what I want to do is I want to give you a look at a devotional that I brought to our staff yesterday morning in chapel. Here in the North Texas District Office, we have chapels every Wednesday. One Wednesday a month, we do what we call team chapels, and that's just where we dig into core value type community stuff for the team here in the office. And yesterday morning, what I did was I gave a a devotional called Faith Beyond the Stage, and I want to share it with you. We're gearing up in election season right now, and so every politician on the planet is promising just how good things can be if we will only trust them with our vote. We know that this has been going on since our uh, since our nation was founded, of course. And one of the things that we always wonder is, can we trust who they seem to be on stage whenever they're off stage? Will they, if we put them in office, will they follow through on what they've said for sure? But do they have integrity of heart or will they end up being a headline? Do they really love the individual or is that just a shaking hands and kissing babies type thing that we're going to see on the campaign trail? And so one of the great political stories I've ever heard whenever I was in my 20s, but this comes from the 1800s, poet and abolitionist Julia Ward Howe. She wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. She's just an incredible, incredible woman. She had asked Senator Charles Sumner to interest himself in the case of a person, an individual who needed help. And so the senator said, Julia, I've become so busy, I can no longer concern myself with individuals. And Julia answers, she goes, Charles, that is quite remarkable. Not even God has reached that stage yet. I just love that. Isn't that good? I was reflecting on that as I was reading James chapter 2. And I want to work through a little bit of a passage that you probably know by heart. Uh, but it begins, we'll be, well, we will begin in verse 14, where James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Now, we've all preached this before, and what you know is that if you take this statement by itself, and then you take some things that Paul says in his statements by themselves, uh, it can seem like we have two contradictory notions of faith, what it is and what it does, and what it is that saves somebody. As you have preached before, Paul, of course, is reminding us that we are saved by God's works, not our own. James is reminding us that if we are saved, we are going to do good works. Just like if I dropped in on you and your family, and uh, you were giving your kids a spirited discussion one night about the way things needed to be in your family. And then I popped in a year or two later. uh, If I just took out of context the discussion that you were having, it might seem that you were teaching conflicting values. But in reality, of course, you're talking about two different things in a particular context at a specific time. And so what James is simply saying here, faith without works is dead. Uh, This is where he goes to later. It's this whole image that we all have probably used before of a tree. 
And if you look at a tree, of course, we have what we see above ground, the trunk, the uh, the leaves, the fruit, if it's a fruit tree. And then there's a whole part of the tree below ground, which is the root system. It's been frequently said that our faith is like a tree. The works would be above ground, the faith would be underground inside. The point has to be made that the whole thing is the tree. One cannot exist without the other, but one without the other, they're going to be dead. And I tell you, I learned this recently. Uh, We have a little bit of land out here in Maypearl, Texas. And so I've been clearing off what we call Texas weeds. You know, most people, whenever they build a house, they just doze right over the hackberries. Now, I'm a West Texas kid. I grew up in Odessa, Pecos, Fort Stockton. I don't care if they're hackberries. They are trees. They're taller than mesquite bushes, and I like them. And so whenever we're building the house, uh, one of the contractors said, listen, I have never seen somebody fight so hard to preserve hackberry trees. You know, what is the deal? But I did. I preserved every hackberry tree that I could. As we've settled in, what I've seen is that, okay, some of these actually do need to go just because they're crowded. And if we don't clear some of them out, the others will never reach their full potential. So I've gone through doing really the only thing I can do because I lack handyman skill. I've gone through chopping down trees and tearing stuff up and it has been fun. But one of the things I noticed with one of the trees I first removed a few months ago is that there's that stump by the ground that I was waiting to dry out so I can burn it. But from that stump, a bunch of new little branches have emerged. It actually looks like a little bit of a bush because things are still growing out of that stump. Well, how is that the case if I've chopped down the tree? Well, you know the answer. The roots are still alive. And as long as there are life in the roots, things are going to show above the surface. And so the things that we teach to our people are true for us as leaders too. And that's the point today, that genuine faith in us is going to lead to genuine works for God beyond the stage. Beyond just what we say, beyond preaching, beyond organizational leadership, it's going to lead to private faith. And so you know the three examples James gives. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. One of the things we have to do as ministers is remember that we take our faith off stage and we never need to get out of touch with an individual. If the gospel shows us anything, it's that God himself is intimately concerned with how individual people are doing. You read the gospels, these are encounters Jesus had very frequently one-on-one. And we don't need to ever remove ourselves as ministers from that context and become sort of untouchable by the commoner. I'm doing that in scare quotes. That's not helpful. You can't see that because you're not here in the office with me. But remembering the poor, walking in community, ministering to actual people, not from an institutional church funds. This is what we've set aside for a benevolence level. But you, as a man or woman of God, me, as someone following Jesus, need to be involved and be touchable by the needs of individuals. You guys know that I was in Chi Alpha for years. And one of the most profound examples I ever saw of how this could play out and just how it could strengthen a group of people trying to love each other and love Jesus well was in our years in North Carolina when we were at Duke University. We had a student who had gone through spectacular challenges to end up somewhere like Duke. She was brilliant. Uh, She's just uh, an incredible leader. She's a gifted entrepreneur today, but she had gotten there through a lot. And so whenever she got to Duke, she didn't have a car. She had a scooter. So she got to our house, she got to Chi Alpha meetings, she got anywhere she needed to get during those early years of college on a scooter. One day her scooter got stolen. 
And this was a devastating thing. This was what she had. And I'm only telling you this because of the way it ends up. I'm not trying to let the right hand know what the left is doing. What happened is that our our staff, we and then some of our students started conspiring. Okay, how can we get her a scooter? If we put enough of our money together, we probably couldn't buy a car. But we can buy a scooter. And as we begin to work on this, I'm in touch with this girl's parents and sort of letting them know what we're wanting to do. Well, it ends up actually not working out because through some spectacular provision, they actually were able to get her a car. So that's the best case scenario. But what I'm saying is that what that effort of sacrifice did, even though in this particular instance, we didn't get to follow through, what it did for us and what it did for this girl in our group paid off for years to come. The level of faith that was raised in some of our students by getting involved with something like this, having their love stirred up to tangibly sacrifice for an individual, uh, it mattered and it brought us closer together. And so we as ministers never need to be beyond the personal touch. We don't just give sermons, we get involved with people. And that's a big deal to Jesus. So you know that, right? So James marches on. And then he says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he gives this example of Abraham. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did and scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And so you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So we all know that Abraham and Isaac is such a powerful chapter in just human and biblical history. It's the culmination of years of Abraham waiting on a very clear, definitive promise from God. I will give you a son. Your descendants will be many. All of this stuff will happen. And so one of the things I like to point out when I have the opportunity to preach on Abraham and Isaac is that Abraham was not responding to just a bit of an unction. He definitely wasn't responding to a schizophrenic voice. Abraham had had some of the most profound manifestations of God's presence ever to be done in human history. In Genesis chapter 18, you remember when the the strangers show up and they begin to walk around with Abraham. One of the indications there in the Hebrew is that Abraham knew that this was a divine manifestation. Uh, With the language he uses out and runs out and calls one of them Lord, this is the same Hebrew Adonai word that is used distinctively for God in the Old Testament. And so this is a divine manifestation, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And you remember while Abraham is walking with him, He says, should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And this is where he says, you know, your descendants will be as many as the stars and all of this kind of stuff. And then this same God says, I want you to sacrifice your son Abraham as a burnt offering to me. And so you would have to think that Abraham would struggle with it greatly, and I'm sure he did. But we know that as it's laid out in Scripture, he moves forward fairly quickly in obedience. And I love the things you pick up along the way that show just how much confidence Abraham had in this God who had called him. And so whenever they get to the mountain, you remember Abraham, Isaac, they had brought some servants with him. Abraham looks at his servants and he goes, listen, you guys stay right here. We... Abraham and Isaac will go worship and then we will come back to you. And so what we see there with Abraham is that Abraham knew God's promises were true. If God said through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned, then through Isaac, his offspring were going to be reckoned. And Abraham had absolute trust in the character of God. And so you know this in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so you know the whole story. I won't finish it for us here. But what we see is that 
Abraham, as much as he had obeyed, as much as he had given, Abraham knew what I want us to know. We are never beyond, as leaders, the large sacrifice. We never get to the point where we have sacrificed so much that if God asks us to sacrifice again, to move again, to build again, to start again, that we aren't willing to do that. Why? Because we can trust his character and what's good for the kingdom is what's good for us. And so just like Abraham had full confidence in the promises and character of God, we have to do that too. We can't just preach it from the stage. We have to live it out privately. And there will be times, we all know this, where we are sacrificing things in private that will never be seen or known by the people we pray for and lead on a weekly basis. That's okay. So lastly, James gives the example of Rahab. He says, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And so you know the story from the book of Joshua. The spies from Israel had snuck into Jericho gathering information pre-invasion, and they were detected having taken home in the refuge of a prostitute named Rahab. And so the essence of the recorded exchange there that we're given is, of course, this. We know that the king sent men to try to find them. Rahab lies to them, sends them away. And she says this. She basically says, we know that this God of yours is obviously real. He's done all these great things for you. He's parted the sea. You've walked on dry land. He's given you victories you have no business having unless your God is real and your God is with you. And so what Rahab, this pagan woman, did was she had a conviction of what was true about God, and then she put herself at great risk to follow through. This is another aspect of faith offstage that we never get beyond, is simply taking personal risk for the sake of truth that God has revealed. Some things are hard to preach, and they are even costly to preach these days. And there may be a smart way to do it, but we will never be able to be nice enough to have the world agree with the stances of God on a number of things. We have to tell truth. We have to risk for truth. It could be the case that sometimes the most godly thing we could do is end up being despised for being faithful. Faithful. And so we're never beyond personal risk for the sake of truth. And so that's what I shared with my staff. I said that James points out that if we have faith, we will do offstage smaller things like help a brother or sister with food. If we have faith and like Abraham, we will do costly things like sacrifice something big, even if we have sacrificed before. And if we have faith, then like Rahab, we may take personal risk for the sake of truth that we have come to know about God. And so James finishes up that passage and he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Talking to a bunch of ministers here, we've all stood alongside a casket, maybe an open casket, and we've shaken the hands of families as they've walked by, taking one last look at their loved ones before proceeding probably to the graveside. And we know what it's like to look at that person in the casket. The best way we can put it is a little clunky, but all of us who have lost somebody or preached a funeral, we know this, is that that may be them, but it's not really them. In a way, that person is there, but they're not really there. And of course, what's missing is the spirit. Without the spirit, the body is dead. And without deeds, our faith is dead. So faith beyond the stage, guys, not just casting vision, it's ministering to individuals. It's not just preaching about the sacrifice of Christ. It's being willing to make a sacrifice for Christ when he asks it of us. And uh, the last thing was, we don't just teach truth, we defend it and we take risk for the sake of obedience. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're enjoying your place of service for Jesus and being faithful to him. We love you here in the Old District office and hope you have a great week serving Jesus and his bride, the local church.